Uh, any baseball fans in the room today? Any baseball fans out there? A few of you. The talk uh, today that I'm going to give you guys is entitled Bottom of the Ninth. And so uh, if you're a baseball fan, you know exactly what the bottom of the ninth is. But if you don't know what the bottom of the ninth is, the bottom of the ninth is a moment when you're down, but you're not out. Okay? The bottom of the ninth is that moment where you're pretty much done, but there's still a chance, right? One of, one of the cool things about baseball is the game of baseball is not ruled by a clock. And so uh, that bottom of the ninth moment uh, for you, for me, for us, for the game of baseball is basically saying you still have a shot to win this thing. As, as uh, long of a shot as that may be, there's still a chance. You know, you're telling me there's a chance. There's still a chance that you can win. And so one of the greatest bottom of the ninth moments in all of baseball baseball uh, we're going to talk about today. It actually was in 1992. It happened in Atlanta, okay? Any uh, Braves fans in the room? Any Braves fans? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys, excellent. You're going to like this story. Any Pittsburgh Pirates fans in the room? You're not going to like this story, okay? You picked the wrong Sunday to come if you're a Pirates fan. The Braves are up the National League Championship, okay? The Braves are up three games to one. They got to win one more game, and the series is over. The Braves are going to the World Series. That's the end of it, right? They lose game five. The Pirates are beginning to get some momentum. They lose game six. Now we're back in Atlanta. The Braves are down two to one. It's the bottom of the ninth. There's two outs. The winner of this game goes to the World Series. The Braves have zero momentum going. They've got a man on second, and up to the plate steps Francisco Cabrera, little-known player at the time. Francisco Cabrera was basically a nobody. There's two outs. This is the last shot for the Braves. Francisco Cabrera sees the pitch, and he hits it into left field. And a guy by the name of Sid Bream is on second base. He's, he's, for, he's uh, running for Atlanta. He's coming around third. And if you watch this clip, you'll, you'll think, uh, man, they put this thing in slow motion to really build up the effect, right? Well, actually, it wasn't in slow motion at all. It's just that's how slow Sid ran, okay? He's literally one of the slowest players in baseball, okay? So you've got the tying run, comes in from third. The game is now tied, and here comes Sid, right? He's given it everything he's got. Here comes the throw. It happens literally at the same time. You're waiting. That could go either way. And the umpire yells, safe, safe, safe. And the place goes crazy. Hometown crowd absolutely goes nuts. It was pandemonium. You had grown men hugging each other. They didn't know each other. They're hugging people. They're high-fiving. They're having a blast. They're having a great time. It was unbelievable. The Braves pull it out. A great comeback story. Incredible story. Now, anybody here that you'd say, you know what, you're looking around at that game, the Braves are down, they've lost the last two games, you're probably going to leave early. Anybody thinking that? I'm kind of one of those guys. I'm not a huge fan of crowds, I'm not a huge fan of traffic, and so I'm thinking, you know, I'm probably not going to stay for the whole game. But can you imagine, can you imagine leaving Couple, there's only a couple outs left. There's an out left. Come on, babe. Come on, family. We're getting out of here. You go. This is 92, right? So they didn't have the keyless entry. You go to put the key in the door, unlock the car, and you're half a mile away at this point, and you just hear this roar of the crowd, right? Can you imagine that feeling? You know there were people that did that. They left early. They left the game early, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about why you should never leave a baseball game early, okay? No, that's not really what, what we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about the bottom of the ninth, but 
this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how you respond when somebody that you know is in the bottom of the ninth. How should you and I respond when uh, it's your family, when it's your friends, when it's your neighbor, when it's a coworker, and they're in the bottom of the ninth? What should you and I do? Now, some of you are in the bottom of the ninth right now. Some of you came here this morning and you're thinking, man, I'm in a tough spot. And you know exactly how you would want people to respond. But most of us here this morning, we're in the third inning, we're in the fourth inning, we're in the fifth inning, things are pretty good, our future may look bright, and so we're not necessarily thinking about that bottom of the ninth moment. But we're going to talk about this idea this morning, because whether you're in the bottom of the ninth or whether you're in the third inning, there's a good chance that every single one of us this morning knows somebody that's in the bottom of the ninth. We all have a friend. We all have a family member. Everybody, if we think about it, it probably isn't going to take long. We're going to think of somebody that we know that's going through a bottom of the ninth situation. And what should we do about that? What should we do in that moment? How should we respond when somebody that we know is losing? Somebody's having a hard time. What do we do? There's a lot of ways we can respond, and typically our response is actually a, a non-response. And typically what I've found that we do when, when somebody that we know, and I know I've done this in my own life, when somebody that I know is in the bottom of the ninth, this is what I do. I'll sit there and I'll hear their story. Maybe you're at Starbucks and they're telling you what's going on in their life and you're just relieved it's not you, right? You're thinking, wow, this is, this is tough stuff. Man, I can't believe this is going on in your life. And inside of you, there's this relief. Whew. I'm glad that's not me. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, I helped this guy last time. You did this again? Or this happened again? Or you're going through this again? I just, I just helped you. What happened? Maybe some of you are just thinking, I, I don't have time. I'm busy. I have too much going on. I, the, my schedule's too full. I got kids. I got sports. I got all this stuff. I can't help. I don't have time. Or maybe this is a, this is a generous response, but you guys are, are good people. I'm sure this is true of you. Uh, you just don't know what to do. You want to help? You want to be there, you, you want to support, but what do you do? What do they want? And so you don't know what to do. And so today I want to talk about why it's so important that we don't miss that moment. Why it's so important that we don't mess up that moment when somebody that we love, somebody that we know, somebody that we care about is in the bottom of the ninth, and we're going to look at a story. But before we before we get too far into this idea this morning, I want to I want to talk to a couple of different groups in the room. First of all, uh, if you're here today and you're just checking it out, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Um, this talk today is really for Christians, people that have put their faith in Jesus. And so if that's not you, we're still super glad you're here. I hope today's talk will um, help you become a better friend. But you get a pass on this today. You get a pass on this. Now, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you don't get a pass. This is not an optional thing. What we're going to talk about today is not something that we can just kind of stiff arm and say, we'll figure that out later. We have a responsibility to do this. And the reason for that is because every single one of us was in the bottom of the ninth, myself included. Jesus stepped in and he said, you know what? I love you. I care about you. You're down, but you're not out. 
I'm about to give you a comeback story. I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to show you empathy and compassion and generosity to the point where I'm going to give you my life. We were in the bottom of the ninth, and that's how Jesus responded to us. And so if we receive that as Christians, we should be marked by that same empathy, that same compassion, that same generosity. Here's why this is so important, because our response determines our reputation. Our response to this idea that we're going to talk about today is going to determine our reputation. Your response to your friends and your family that are in the bottom of the ninth, it's going to determine what they think of you. It's going to determine how they think of you. Your response to your friends and your family that are in the bottom of the ninth, it's going to determine what they think about this church. It's going to determine what they think about Christianity. In fact, your response is going to determine what they think about Jesus himself. And so this is huge. This idea is so important. Now, that may be intimidating to some of you, but it's also pretty incredible. It's also pretty cool. I mean, how neat would it be? How incredible would it be if somebody that you know, somebody that you cared about, who just got some terrible news, life-altering news, they're in the bottom of the ninth. How incredible would it be if you're the first person they thought of to call? What if you were the first place that they decided to reach out to when they were in the bottom of the ninth? When they were in a tough spot and they needed help? What if this church was the first place that they ran to? What if your friendship was the first thing that they thought of of calling and reaching out to? We get to decide that. Hope Church, you guys get to decide that today. You get to decide that personally for yourselves your response is going to determine your reputation, and not just yours, but it's going, to re- it's going to determine the reputation of Jesus, too. So this is, this is a really big deal, and I really want every single person to be able to walk out of here today and know, decide, that when somebody that we know is in the bottom of the ninth, we're going to be able to look back. They are going to be able to look back and say, we responded with extraordinary generosity. We responded with extraordinary compassion and empathy. Let's look at a story this morning that really illustrates this idea. In fact, I'm so excited to share the story because it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's in Mark chapter 2, and this story is full of inspiration. It's a crazy story, and it's actually full of a lot of comedy too. So if you don't read your Bible for for laughs, I think we're going to get some laughs out of this story today. We're going to have some fun as we learn the story because there's a ton of inspiration in the story, but there's also some really, really fun and goofy things in the story, and we're going to talk about those. Uh, The story is about a guy who was in the bottom of the ninth. In fact, he was in an incredibly desperate place in his life. He was definitely down. Uh, The cards were stacked against him. He was in a tough spot. He was hopeless. He was helpless. We're going to look at this story and see exactly what happened in his comeback. Um, Mark chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to open it for you guys. Um, If you don't have your Bibles, it's all good. I'm going I'm to read it for you, uh, so just, just follow along. Mark chapter 2, I want to read this first verse for you. It's, uh, verse 1 says this, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, 
uh, the people heard that he had, had come home. Now, um, I'm sure you guys understand this. At this point in Jesus' life, he'd become pretty famous. He was a big deal. There was a lot of people around. And so when people heard that Jesus had come home, they wanted to meet him. They wanted to see him. They wanted to get to know him. And so in this story, we've got a lot of people, okay? There's people around. A chapter earlier, Mark tells us that Jesus had just healed a guy, and Jesus said, hey, do me a favor. Don't tell anybody. What do you think that guy did? He told everybody, right? Of course. He'd just been healed. So he's, it, it, Jesus' reputation is, is, is getting out. He's popular. He's famous, um, when they, had, when they heard Jesus was in town, they showed up. People showed up. Verse 2 says this. It says, They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached to them. So you get this story of uh, a room smaller than this one. It's a house, much smaller than this one. Think of like a postage stamp house. It's a tiny house. Jesus is in there, and he's preaching. And he's teaching. Um, There's no microphones. You know, everybody's sitting in there. They're trying to listen. And it's packed, okay? Think think Bieber just showed up at the mall packed, right? Think uh, maybe it's Michael Jackson for you. I see some head shaking, okay? Maybe it's Michael Jackson. Maybe it's the Beatles. Uh, Maybe it's Drake. I don't know who it is for you. But somebody just showed up to the mall and the the places. uh, Think royal wedding packed, okay? Maybe Maybe that's better. So the place is packed, there's a lot going on. There's people everywhere. Verse 3 says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And this is such a cool picture of relationship and of friendship. When you read this story, uh, it's safe to assume that these guys are like us because, well, why wouldn't they be? All right? They, they have friends, they have families, they have jobs, they have things going on, they have commitments. Uh, Maybe their kids are in sports. Who knows, right? But these guys have stuff going on, but they decided they wanted to help their friend. They decided that this was the time. This was their chance. And so they were going to do whatever they could to help their buddy who was paralyzed. If it it meant that their friend, the guy that they had seen suffer, the guy that couldn't walk, the guy that probably couldn't work, okay, the guy that in this culture was an outcast, if, if they could help him, They were going to help him. They were going to do whatever they could do. And they understood that the deck was stacked against this guy. Now, the Bible doesn't say what happened. It doesn't say if it was an accident. It doesn't say if he was born paralyzed. We just know that he couldn't walk. And these guys decided that they were going to put him on a mat. And they're going to get him in front of Jesus. Here's the problem. They get to the house, and it's packed. Okay? It's Black Friday, they just showed up at Walmart, and the TVs are gone, okay? That's what that feeling is, like, sorry, man. So here's, here's what it says, it's verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they went home and said, hey, buddy, the place is full, but it's the thought that counts, right? You think that's what they said? No. If you're following along in your Bible, you're like, what's this guy reading? <laughs> um, now, before we judge these guys, I want, you, I want you all to be honest. We do this, don't we? We do this. Um, we say, well, man, we got you here. It's a thought that counts, isn't it? Isn't that enough? And to be honest, the guy on the mat is probably grateful that they even tried, isn't he? 
Before we judge this guy, uh, we have all done this, right? We give up. We quit. Now, are there any Lil John fans in the room? Y'all remember that song, Turn Down for What? Turn Down for What? Remember? Yeah? Just me? I'm the only Lil John? I know you guys are being dishonest on this one. Now, you guys remember that song, Turn Down for What? Right? And that song, that song kind of became a song for the generations, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's like that, hey, the club is packed. They ran out. We're going alone. It doesn't matter. We're not giving up, Right? It doesn't matter. We're not quitting. We're showing up. We're not going to turn down. Now, what you didn't know and what you may walk out of church with today, the only thing is that this story was actually little John's inspiration. Did you guys know that? Uh, these guys said, we're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. We're not turning down. There is nothing, nothing that's going to stop us, right? We are not walking away. We're not going to turn down. We're not going to stop. Now, um, oftentimes when we have a friend that's in the bottom of the ninth, we quit. We turn down. We stop. We give up. Why? Well, it's inconvenient. It is. It's an interruption. It's messy. It's messy. We like things to be neat and orderly. And after all... Do they even want your help? Do they, do, mm, do they even want your help? We, we say, ah, I'm busy. I've got a lot going on. And they'll understand that. But here's the thing. That's not what these guys did. These guys got to the house and it was packed. And they didn't turn around. They didn't quit. They didn't stop. And here's why. I think it's because these guys believed something. They were convinced of something. They knew for a fact that if they could get their friend in front of Jesus, something good was going to happen. They believed that. They knew it to be true. The reason these guys didn't give up, the reason they didn't quit, the reason they didn't walk away is because they knew, they were certain, if we can get our friend's body in front of Jesus, Something good is going to happen. Check this out. This is what happens. This is actually verse 4. I'm not going to fake you out this time. Since they could not get, to get their friend to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Okay. Mark skips some steps here. Quite a few steps. What happened? How did they get their friend onto the roof? Were there stairs? Uh, did they go on another roof and jump over? Did they build a ladder? Was there a ladder there? We don't know. We have no idea. All we know is that the four friends got their buddy who was paralyzed onto the roof. Now, I don't know how you guys feel about roofs, but I personally can't stand them. Worst day of the year for me is when my wife says, hey, are we doing Christmas lights this year? Usually happens sometime in late November. Ladies, just a heads up, okay? Most guys, we don't like that question. Why? Because we're scared to death of roofs, getting onto roofs. That's not my thing. These guys didn't just get onto the roof. They got onto the roof with their friend who was paralyzed. So they're up there on that roof. Now imagine you've got five guys on the roof, what was it like in the house? No air condition, hot, maybe a little sweaty. Everybody's being quiet. They're trying to listen to Jesus. 
They're seeing what's going on with Jesus. He's teaching. Next thing you know, everybody's looking up, right? What's that noise? What's going on? Maybe some particles start falling down and then big chunks. Maybe a brick or two. Next thing you know, bam, somebody's, somebody's hand stuck through the roof, right? Next thing you know, four faces are sticking through the roof. And here's what they don't do. They don't yell down, Jesus, we need you up here. That's not what happens. They don't look down and say, hey, Jesus, we need, we need your help. Come help. That's not what happens either. See, what, what goes on in this story is that, uh, I'm going to read for you in verse 4. It says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the man down on the mat. They literally lower this guy down. Their friend is still laying on the mat, by the way, and he's, he's being lowered down to Jesus. See, these friends aren't going to be denied. They're going to do whatever it takes to get their buddy to Jesus. Now, what do you think Jesus is thinking in this moment? Is he frustrated? Is he annoyed? He was interrupted. He's right in the middle of teaching whatever it was he was teaching, and this man is coming down on a mat Let's check out what Jesus does. It's in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith. Three words. Saw their faith. Faith is meant to be seen. Your faith is meant to be seen. I love those three words. Jesus actually saw the faith, not of the paralyzed man, of the friends. He saw the faith of this man's friends. One of the cool things about what Jesus does is he calls out this kind of faith over and over and over in the New Testament. When he sees it, he recognizes it, and he calls it out. See, Jesus wasn't moved by what these guys believed. I want you guys to hear this. Jesus wasn't moved by what these guys believed. Jesus was moved by what they did because of what they believed. Another way of saying it is this. Faith, your faith, is best expressed through action. Faith is best expressed through action. The faith that these four guys displayed literally moved Jesus. It caused him to act When Jesus saw their faith, he gave the paralyzed man what he needed most. Now, notice the paralyzed man probably didn't get what he wanted. He he probably wasn't there for forgiveness of sins. What did he want? He wanted to walk. He wanted to walk, and he gets in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, that might be confusing to some of us, but it's actually really good news for all of us because it shows that Jesus has the power to forgive your sins. And there was something that that man needed far more than walking. He had something going on in his heart. He needed to be forgiven of his sins, and Jesus saw that. He recognized that. And he looks at this man after the four friends hand him down through the roof. And he looks at him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. What does that say about us? The shame we've been carrying. The guilt. 
the embarrassment that you've been carrying, the sin that nobody knows about. What this is telling us is that Jesus has a power to forgive you of that. Guys, that's incredible news. It's incredible news. So Jesus gives this man what he needed before he gave him what he wanted. This guy wanted to walk, and now his sins are forgiven. His eternity is changed. So he looks at the guy, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And I'll tell you what, that bothered the teachers of the law. These guys named the Pharisees, they hated Jesus, and they're fuming at him. They're mad at him, and they're saying, who does this guy think he is? What, what in the world is going on? We'll continue in verse 6. Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately in Jesus' spirit, he knew uh, what was going on. It says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was why, what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? See, these guys hadn't said a word. In, in this house, they're scattered Pharisees. And they're thinking, who does this guy think he is? Forgiving somebody's sins? They hadn't said a word. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he looks at them and he says, I'm going to forgive this guy's sins. Why did he do that? He wanted to show these guys that he wasn't just sent from God. He wasn't just a representative of God. He was God. See, the Pharisees were right. Nobody could forgive sins except God alone. What they didn't realize was that Jesus was God. And so in this moment, he's proving to them, hey, you're underestimating me. I am God here on earth, and I'm going to prove that to you. And he looks at this guy and he says, son, a term of endearment, a term of kindness, a term of friendship. He says, my friend, your sins are forgiven. Incredible, incredible. I love that. So uh, as they're sitting there, um, these guys are, are, are asking, why is Jesus doing this? Why are you, and then Jesus says, why are you thinking these things, right? Verse 9 says, well, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to heal him, to say, uh, get up, take your mat, walk. So he asks the Pharisees this question. He says, which is, which is easier to do? Would you rather me forgive the guy's sins, or would you rather me heal the guy? And any Family Feud for, uh, fans out there, any Family Feud just you and I, Wes. I think it's just you and I today. We'll be a team, okay? Family feud, it's that moment where you get to steal. And the team, the family, they huddle up and they're talking and they're thinking, what are we going to say? What's our answer going to be? And in that moment, the Pharisees, are, they're all huddled up and they're thinking. And while they're deliberating, Jesus keeps going. He goes the next step. Verse 10 says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, me, Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the man, he looks at him. This is so cool. He looks at him, he says, I tell you, get up. Get up. Take your mat. Go home. What? Are you kidding me? While you guys are going to 
try to figure that out. While you're, you're planning, well, which is it easier, to heal him or to forgive his sins? I don't know, what, what do we say? In the middle of all that going on, Jesus looks at this guy and he says, my friend, you're healed. Get up. Stand up. That mat that you came in on, I want you to pick it up and walk out of here. Verse 12 says, this paralyzed man got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of everybody there. The mat that you're carried in on, you're going to be carrying out. Can you imagine that moment? How cool is that? How incredible, how powerful. What do you think that guy did? Tears, right? Just unbelievable joy and happiness. He looks at his friends, and he calls them by name, and he says, thank you. Thank you. I couldn't do this without you. This is that moment where where grown men are hugging each other and crying and celebrating and high-fiving, saying, this is unreal. This is the ultimate bottom of the ninth win. I can't believe we pulled this out. How is this possible? The story ends by saying this. It says, this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. And when we read this story, we think, yeah, neither have we, right? We've never seen faith like that. Faith that was visible. We've never seen a tenacious friendship like that. Unbelievable. We've never seen anything like this before. So let me ask you guys this. Don't you want to be that kind of friend? Don't you want to be the kind of friend that's in this story? Yeah, right? See, these guys, they're friends. They were convinced. They were sure. They knew Beyond any doubt, if they could get their friend in front of Jesus, something good was going to happen. You know what? They were right, weren't they? They were right. Something incredible did happen. But let me ask you the same question this morning. Do you believe that if you can get your friend in front of Jesus, that there's going to be a comeback story? Do you believe that if you can get your friend who's, who's down but not out, who's losing the game, who's in an incredibly difficult spot, do you believe if you can get them in front of Jesus that something good is going to happen? I believe that. I've seen it. I bet you believe it too. But Jesus isn't here, right? Jesus isn't on earth anymore, and so how do we do this? We can't carry people to Jesus physically anymore. So what what does this look like? Well, first thing I want to tell you today is that you remember that you're the body. We are the body of Jesus. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior, we become the representation of God on earth. You are the body. Jesus, it's, it's like Jesus was saying, I want you to be my body to anybody who needs somebody. I want to say that again because there's a lot of bodies in there, okay? I want you 
to be my body to anybody who needs somebody. You and I, this church, we are Jesus's body. We are the, the physical representation of God here on the earth. Second thing is that I want to encourage you to be a bottom of the ninth friend. How do we get people in front of Jesus today? Well, we can be a bottom of the ninth friend. We can be the friend that doesn't give up, that doesn't walk away. Bottom of the ninth friends have certain attributes. They have certain characteristics, and we all have different levels and different kinds of friendships. Here's a couple of things that bottom of the ninth friends are. I want you to think about, am I one of these characteristics? Do I have these characteristics? Bottom of the ninth friends tear the roof off to help you. They tear the roof off to help you. They do whatever it takes. We're going to carry you there. Get on the mat. We're going to get you on the roof. Let's go. We're going to dig a hole through the roof. I don't care what we have to do. We are going to tear this roof off to help you. Why? Because we believe something. We believe if we can get you in front of Jesus, it's going to change your life. Bottom of the ninth, friends, will tear the roof off. Do whatever it takes. Don't quit. Don't give up. We are there for you. They're not giving up until the job is finished. Bottom of the ninth, friends, will tear the roof off to help you. Bottom of the ninth, friends, will make sure that you don't forget that God hasn't left you. Well, that's the, that's the temptation, isn't it? When we're in a, a bottom of the ninth moment, we feel alone, don't we? We feel abandoned, most importantly, by God. We feel like God has forgotten about us, or God's too busy for us, or whatever it is. A bottom of the ninth friend is there to remind you that God hasn't left you, that God hasn't given up on you. They're there to remind you, hey, you're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. As followers of Jesus, we have an incredible opportunity to represent Jesus himself to our friends. Bottom of the ninth, friends, make sure you know that God hasn't left you. Last thing, bottom of the ninth, friends, show up to help. They don't send a text message. They don't just call. Can you imagine what this story would be if they had just somehow sent word to their friend, hey man, we heard Jesus is in town. You might want to get over there because I think he might be able to help you. Right? No, no, no. Bottom of the ninth friend shows up. Here's the thing, guys. Text message is not going to pay your utility bill. Text message isn't going to sit with you in a hospital when you get some really bad news. A bottom of the ninth friend is right there with you. They show up to help you. There's not a bunch of excuses. There's not a bunch of fanfare. No, no, no. They're there. They're present. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in the bottom of the ninth, I want a friend who's going to be in the stands till the game's over. Don't you? I want to be that friend too. I want to be the friend that when that comeback story happens, I can look at them and say, dude, what? 
This is unbelievable. And we're crying and we're high-fiving. And I can look at them and say, man, I was with you the whole time. I didn't give up on you. And I'm there to help you no matter what you need. I want to be that kind of friend. I know you do too. I know you do too. So here's what I want us to do. You guys all pull your phones out. Grab your phones real quick. Everybody grab your phones. Grab your phones. I want you to think of somebody who's in the bottom of the ninth right now. Probably is not going to be very hard. Who do you know that's in the bottom of the ninth? I want you to text yourself, not them. Text yourself a reminder. Set up a reminder on your calendar. Set up a reminder somehow on your phone. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do this week to be a bottom of the ninth friend for that person? What can you do this week to make sure that they know you're still cheering them on? Maybe it's taking them a meal. Maybe it's buying them a gas card. Maybe it's just showing up at their office and saying, let's go to lunch. Showing up at their house and saying, hey, I'm going to hang out with you for a couple hours. I just want to I want to be around you. I want to encourage you. I want to make sure that you know that I'm, I'm here for you. Whatever that looks like for you, I want you to, to think about who that is. I'm going to give you 15 seconds right now. Think about who is that in your life? Who's in the bottom of the ninth? And I want you to text yourself their name and what you're going to do for them this week. I'm going to just give you a few seconds to do that. Go ahead and do that. guys imagine what the, the effect would be if every single one of us actually followed through with that plan that we just texted ourselves with? Think about that. What would the, what would the effect be on your friend's life who, who needs you right now? And then the effect on their family's life. And what, whatever the effect would have on their future I mean, this is, for this guy in this story, it literally impacted his eternity. This guy's in heaven because his friends were bottom of the ninth friends. Think about that for a minute. Think of the impact, the lives changed we could have in this community, in this room, in your family, with your friends, in your neighborhood. If we became bottom of the ninth people, we didn't leave the game early. We didn't check out. We didn't beat the traffic. No, we were there. We were part of the comeback. And at the end of the game, we're standing on the chairs and we're hugging people we don't know. And we're crying and we're high-fiving because we were a part of the comeback. I think that's the kind of friendships Jesus wants us to have. And guess what? He has a comeback story written for every single one of us. And you could be a part of that story. That's pretty incredible.